Welcome back to the Money Under the Mattress podcast. My name is Jake. My co-host is Mitch. Today we'll be discussing, uh, what would you say the title for this is, Mitch? I think today we'll be talking about alternative investments. Uh, and so, you know, we'll be talking about NFTs. They're, they've been a hot commodity lately. Uh, we'll talk about crypto, uh, the old gold and silver, uh, real estate, as well as this new virtual real estate called Earth 2.0, uh, as well as venture <laughs> capital. Um Having a good day so far, Jake? Yeah, not a bad day. Uh, the market was down, but um, never a bad day to see, you know, the market go either way. I mean, it's it's part of the uh, the way the, the system works, but, you know, we're long-term investors, so we don't really care. No, exactly. I mean, some of my actual holdings are starting to get back into uh, a price that I'd really like to buy back in at. And so over the last couple of months, I've had a little bit more income uh, than usual. So uh, I've got a little bit more cash than I'd like. And so if I can get, uh, get a little more deeper into some of the, my holdings right now, uh, that'd be awesome. One, one thing though, first, you don't dislike cash though, right? No, but I would like to have a little bit less cash than I do right now. Um, cause right now I'm about like almost 40% cash. Um, and so, I mean, obviously, I don't dislike cash. It's always great to have cash on the side. Um, but I mean, when there's some great companies or great businesses out there that are selling at some pretty decent prices, um, they're kind of getting down into uh, my buy my buy price. Um, so that forty percent cash position might decrease a little bit here soon. So it's getting okay. exciting territories. Yeah. So do you want to explain what NFTs are? Whew. Okay, I'll try. I'll read off like the description first, just okay. so uh, we have more of a uh, more of a professional explanation of it. So, um, essentially, what it is is a non fungible token. It's a unit of data on a digital ledger called a blockchain, where each NFT can represent a unique digital item, and thus they are not interchangeable. NFTs can represent digital files such as art, audio, videos, items, and video games, and other forms of creative work. So, what would? How do you explain that? to someone who may not know what anything I just said means. I think the best way to explain NFT um, to the layman person um, would be that it's digital artwork. Okay. So in other words, you know, everybody buys paintings probably once in their life they have or a picture of some sort or some sort of sculpture that's art um, in some physical form. Um, what NFTs are, is that their artwork, but they're um, digital and through your phone um, and probably your computer too. And they're non, like you, you can't duplicate them, right? So it's physically impossible to duplicate these um, compared to, you know, like let's say a Michael Jordan rookie card. Um, it still is possible to duplicate, uh, just mm. extremely difficult. Um, so I think that's why the, the whole hype is, is that it's, uh, this new virtual uh, or digital artwork um, that is, you know, physically impossible to duplicate or replicate. And so, I mean, it's taken a big presence in today's market right now. But when you say like, I mean, everybody's yeah. talking about it. it. It's it's a huge part of the news lately. And you're seeing some pretty insane prices for some of them. It's pretty amazing. Well, exactly. I mean, just the other day I saw that an NFT went for, I believe it was 69 million, something, Jeez. something close to it. And so, 
I know like there's some big advocates out there, like such as like Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, I know uh, Logan Paul, the YouTuber, he uh, created his own NFT probably a month or two ago now. And so he was selling those, I believe for about $2,000 uh, an NFT. And so he, the way he sees it is even though he's not an athlete, I mean, I guess he's going into like the boxing realm now, um, but it's kind of like just taking like a bet on him as like an actual, um, you know, he's a social media star or influencer uh, as well as now a boxer. Um, he probably sings and all that stuff. Right. So he sees it more of like a actual card based on him. So, you know, as he gets bigger or grows his following, then he's guessing that, you know, the price of his NFT will go up too. Um, so it's, it's definitely an interesting discussion that people are starting to have. And I know there are some guys that are, you know, in the financial industry that are starting to get into NFTs just because it's like a little fun thing to, you know, dabble in, I guess. Speculate on. <laughs> well, I mean, exactly. Right. Like it's more of a speculative play than anything. I think, I mean, do you believe that NFTs will be around for the long term? I know well, there's both think, sides I, to it. I think they'll always be around, whether they're worth what they're worth right now is another mm. question. But uh, there is a this online stuff is getting pretty wild. Like, not like the prices or anything. I don't mean like all of the prices are going up pretty crazy. I mean like just the way that technology works. It, it, it's it's amazing if you think about it. Like how you're able to do these like, especially with blockchain and all that stuff. Like it, it blows my mind. Like I don't even totally understand it. So, I mean, I tend to side with the Warren Buffetts of the world that say it's kind of just speculation and you shouldn't put your money into it. Mm-hmm. And I haven't put any money into it, but at the same time, you got to admire how cool it is, right? So, yeah, like I do to a certain degree understand why people buy it. Obviously, it's, you know, like if you're a video game player, um, for the most part, you've probably bought like in game content. Um, so, if you, play like a video game like it might be like a camo or a suit or whatever it is that you buy on a video game um and so technically that's digital artwork right there's nothing that actually gives you but i mean it's just a something that's interesting that you wanted um for the video game like an add-on and so i guess these nfts are to a certain degree similar to that um it's just something to look at and say that's something that i own um in other words, it's pretty much just like I know. I know that they're selling like videos too. Do you, do you know anything about that, Jake? Yeah, I think a lot of like there's celebrities that are like doing NFT videos. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like like uh, you know LeBron dunking. I've seen that one um, as an NFT. Just I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure if you own the rights to that or not. Like I wonder if you know, for an example, like ESPN, if they were to you know, use that well, clip. I wonder if you, they get some type of royalty off it or. I'm not sure this is an NFT or not, but I think there's something out there. I think it's probably an NFT. I'm not exactly sure, but they talk about how um, if you have like a clip, like let's say you have like uh, an amazing basketball moment of like someone scoring like a professional basketball team, like let's say like of a winning shot that Kobe had or that LeBron mm-hmm. had or like something like that. And if you own the rights to it, then if like TSN or something by accident showed it or they showed it the permission, like they would owe you money, I believe. There's something out there like this. So I think it's an NFT, but I could be mistaken. Okay. Yeah, that's super, 
Yeah. So like another thing that's pretty interesting is like bands are starting to come out with their NFTs, uh, with their own NFTs. And so I know like there's add-ons uh, if you were to purchase an NFT through them. So like you might be able to get like a record uh, in the mail if you were to purchase an NFT or like maybe backstage passes or some type of signed t-shirt of some sort. Like, so you buy the NFT, but then you also get things added onto it. And so, which which I think is pretty cool. I mean, like, you know, if you're a big fan of, you know, let's say if you're a big fan of Kiss and they came out with an NFT and you're a big Kiss collector, like, yeah, like most of the time, like you probably buy that NFT. Gene Simmons sent you something? Gene Simmons sent you something in the mail? Yeah. That'd be be pretty cool. You know what I mean? Exactly. (laughs) And so, I don't know. I mean, I don't think we'd ever buy an NFT. Maybe Maybe if Buffett came out with an NFT, we'd buy it. I mean, oh. the odds of him coming with an NFT, I don't think it'll ever happen, obviously. But, you know, if, well, I think I, I, if he did, I think I'd just have to buy it for the hype. I mean, I'd hope he'd be able to get in in time because, like, if he bought something, like, or if he produced an NFT, man, that thing mm-hmm. would be going for so much. Just because people are like, oh, I get the Buffett NFT. Like, this guy's all about, like, saying Bitcoin isn't real and stuff like that or whatever. So I think it'd be worth a lot. Like, people would pay really good money for it. Is there any other NFTs that you'd pay for? I don't know. I haven't really looked at it enough to uh, really understand it. Mm. Um, well, it's, it's no different, though, than um, buying some other object that's not, like, useful. Yeah, it's just, a collect- it's just a collector's item, right? So it's like buying yeah. sports cards, but it's just a digital version of it. Digital version. Um, I, mm-hmm. I still think, though, that paint, like, actual paintings, like physical paintings, have more um, work put into them. So I think yeah. they should be worth more. And I understand where, especially ones that are like really old from like hundreds of years ago. I understand mm-hmm. why those are worth so much and they're like really beautiful and stuff like that. So that makes sense to me. I think that paintings can be assets, even though they don't really produce cash flow from it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously it's, it's all the, the price that someone else is willing to pay. So it's hard to value it. But if you're going to, most people don't buy it though, just to like flip it. They tend to buy it because they are really passionate about um the painting object, and, yeah and like yeah and just artwork and stuff so yeah <laughs> i think the other interesting thing are do you know what crypto punks are i think i've explained to crypto punks are to you uh, yeah they're the originals right i'm not sure if they're what they are so for anyone that doesn't understand what crypto punks are in in other words like i think the best way to explain it is like yeah. it's like a mugshot of like you know if you played video games back in like the 80s or like early 90s it'd be like an up close mugshot of like those characters of some sort like it's very uh, like how how else would you explain it well it says right here that um it was released in june of 2017 as one of the first non-fungible tokens on the ethereum blockchain and yeah that's exactly what it looks like really like it looks like a um it looks like like very big pixel Character. Very big pixel, and it kind of looks like the, the old like uh, what games are those? Like what? What's the uh, what was before like the PSP and stuff? Like GameCube? Was, yeah, like Game Boys are they or whatever or game, they're called? Yeah, like is that what it is? Let's see here. I mean, or like Atari? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I wasn't a big video game guy, so I never knew. No. But like maybe not Game Boy, but like just. Just picture something from like a long time ago. Well, a long time ago, but like a long time ago, digital wise. And think yeah. of that. It, it is lovely yeah. weird. They they're don't look strange. like it should be worth anything. And, the, and they're selling for 
crazy amounts, like tens of thousands of dollars. Even caught, like I know there's some that are even selling for a hundred thousand um, dollars. I'm not sure if anyone's bought one for a million dollars yet, um, but I'm sure it's to come. I hope not. That's a bubble. That I mean, if you're buying an NFT for a million dollars, I think that's if insane. If it's some basketball player hitting the last shot, sure. Yeah. Go ahead and do that. But to, to buy these little characters that are not even like detailed, it's no. it's ridiculous. And so, I mean, different strokes for different folks, I guess. <laughs> so, I mean, if you got a million <laughs> bucks to spend on an NFT, I mean, congratulations, I guess. I mean, you probably could have spent it on something more useful. Like, yeah, not I even guess, like investment-wise, but... just like... You, you probably could have just, you know, put some, put one of your, somebody you know through college or something. I don't know. Like that's pretty yeah. useless. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, me and you got a pretty strong opinion on uh, just the whole digital realm in general. Uh, me and you are very non-techie. Um, so NFTs are no. very out of our circle of competence. Um, I'm surprised we even got the podcast going, to be honest. You, yeah, exactly. It took us, you know, a couple of weeks just to understand how Zoom meetings worked. Um, the only t- the only tech stuff we know is uh, Excel. <laughs> yeah, we, we we know Excel and and that's about it. Um, no, so like, you know, I'm not interested in NFTs. I think if Buffett came with an NFT, I think it'd just be funny uh, because he's just so against anything to do with technology, especially anything to do with crypto. Um, but I don't know. Um, we'll go to our to our next topic there. Um, Buffett's favorite friend there is gold. Um, do you want to explain um, why people might invest in gold, Jake? Or gold and silver? I think gold and silver are like status gifts and stuff like that. Like people will buy their significant others gold um, presents, whether it be a ring, a necklace, watch, whatever it may be. Um, although gold and silver does have other uses, um, and it makes sense why it's a store of value and it used to be part of the currency. Um, but I do think that people put a lot, a lot more thought into owning gold when they think inflation is coming than they should. I, I like, ser- like, seriously, like people are like, I gotta, you know, cash out of my stocks now. Inflation's coming. I'm going to buy gold and silver. Hmm. I don't think that's very useful at all. Do you want to, buy stuff that produces, you know, cash flow. So like if you own a farm and, you know, you sell those crops, the business of the farm's a business, right? So it's going to, if you run it well, it's going to produce cash flow where gold just sits there and doesn't do anything besides, you know, if you're a business that sells gold and, you know, people went crazy because he, you know, invested in Barrick, a gold, gold miner. It's a gold miner, right? Barrick? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So he, everyone's like, oh, Buffett talks about how gold is, dumb investment blah blah but he was buying a gold miner there's, there's a difference right it, it's a investment that produces cash flow from selling it whereas if you just own gold and then hope that the price goes up mm-hmm. there's just no way of valuing that so it's like the very small percent of his portfolio i i, I don't it believe it was buffett that bought bought it. i believe it was Todd. Todd. yeah yeah like they bought it and they buy it end of 20 no quarter three of 2020 it was, maybe it was i thought yeah i thought it was during yeah it was somewhere during that and they sold the next quarter and they just got yeah they, ju- they just sold i think they just sold or they sold it the quarter before 
Um, I mean, there's a lot of talk about it because Buffett's been so against gold. And so as soon as he buys a gold mining company, then, you know, everybody's interested in why he bought it. Um, but I don't know. All in all, I'm not too interested in gold just based on the fact that it's not a productive asset. Um, you know, I don't know how to value it. If some guy comes up to me one week and says, I'll buy it for a hundred dollars or another person comes up the next week and says, I'll buy it for 120, you know, I'm not sure what the actual worth is. And someone comes up the next week and they'll buy it for 80, you know, it's, who's right there, right? No, nobody knows because there's no actual cash flows behind it. There's also a storage problem. So you can go out and buy like a ETF that um, stores it for you in like a vault or something, mm. whether you want to rely on that or not, because if something were to go down, whether or not you can get uh, the money out of that is, is another story. I don't really know the whole details on it, but I've heard some things about how like that's, it's kind of a, interesting thing if something were to happen but um if you went the route of actually purchasing gold and silver physical gold mm-hmm. and silver and having it delivered then you'll have to worry about where am i going to store it because i'm keeping my house and people find out about it they're going to try to rob my house or another thing is is if you have like you know a good amount of gold and silver and you gotta you know go to a bank or something and have it stored i don't know if you can do that anymore um you'd have to, you'd have you to probably pay for a deposit yeah. deposit box right you probably have to pay for deposit box then you're just losing mm-hmm. money and you know instead of getting dividends or something from a company you're now paying a bank to hold your asset it yeah. just makes no sense to me so it, it's, it makes more sense to own the actual bank that's holding the gold <laughs> of you course I mean? it always is well we'll think of it as this way is like okay so if you do hold the actual physical gold you know so there's a lot of liabilities behind that. So if you hold, hold it in your house, um, you can get robbed. Uh, it can get, you know, different multitude of different things that could happen to the gold. Um, and compared to if you just own like a Dairy Queen, if you own Dairy Queen uh, or stocking Dairy Queen, so through Berkshire Hathaway, obviously, um, like, do you know how impossible it is to burn down all the Dairy Queens and then burn down the headquarters and then burn all the cash that Dairy Queen has? Well, you want know, you know, to be crazy too? Hmm. You got insurance on that thing, so it doesn't really matter. So you're not running into that problem. So, right. So you're paying insurance also on your gold too, um, which I think it's smarter to own the insurance company that insures the gold than the actual gold. And yeah, it's, it's ridiculous to even, you know, the people that worry about inflation don't really. I, I think that inflation think will always. Need- be like especially now i think inflation you know it's going to be higher than it probably normally is but Mm -hmm. what's going to happen is as long as you hold solid companies you're going to at least match it if you if you can invest right so don't worry about it like even back in um what was it the 70s or 80s whenever there was that 15 percent uh inflation like rampant inflation and stuff Mm -hmm. buffett was like getting like 20 30 returns or whatever it was back then so he was still beating it, even though that, you know, purchasing power was lessening every year. But if you invest right, you at least should match it. So I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I feel like if we went into some crazy inflationary period in our country or in the States, would there be a way for the government to say, hey, everyone that owns gold, they owe it to us now? 
Mm. Just like they did back in the day. Is that still like, I mean, anything's possible, right? So it's one of those things where if, you know, the economy in the world goes to, uh, goes to hell or whatever you want to call it. Does it really matter? Even if like you're holding some safe, you know, safe asset, like yeah, if, if things are going to go to shit, it's going to go to shit. You may as well just own the best thing possible and hope that shit doesn't hit the fan. I don't know. That's, that's the way I look at it. I mean, I think it's always, it's always important to have inflation and taxes in the back of your mind and, and understand um, that they're there. Um, but I don't think, I think it's terrible to make investment decisions behind uh, inflation as well as, you know, as, as taxes. I think if you're making investment decisions behind your taxes, I think then that's just ludicrous. Um, I also think that um, inflation hits people differently because although you look at the CPI, Mm -hmm. price index to uh, judge inflation. I, I personally think that um, the way it's calculated, it doesn't really represent how much inflation is going on in different parts okay. of the economy. So if it depends on like, if you're an old person, maybe inflation won't hit you as hard because the things you're buying, it's not going to, where if you're a young person, it may hit you harder because certain things are, you know, inflating in prices and it, it just, mm -hmm. it all depends, right? Like people worry sure. way too much about macro events when they should worry more about micro events if you're an investor like it just makes no sense to me to worry about macro i mean you always have it in your mind but at the same time it really does it's all noise it really is just all noise true well exactly right like let's say if technologies let's say increasing in price let's say on an average of six percent a year right um you know 85 90 year olds have for the most part it's not that's not influencing them at all Right, so I don't. They don't. They don't have to worry about technology increasing in price by six percent. Um, you want to know something? Hmm. Ray Dalio is probably arguably the best macro investor ever, right? I consider him yeah. Yeah, probably the best macro investor. And you say Warren Buffett's probably one of the best um, fundamental investors of all time, like uh, value investors who looks yes. from the bottom up. Yeah. Who's had Who's had a better record? I'd say Warren. I'm pretty sure Dalio's in the nine to eleven percent range, and Warren's at twenty percent for the last like sixty years or whatever it's been now. Yeah, well, Ray Dalio's got an all-in-one ETF, and we're all-in-one. Is it ETF? Yeah, all-in-one portfolio. All-in-one portfolio. Yeah, all weather. And so, it's it's interesting the way they go about it. Like, I I think that there's a lot more people who do bottom-up analysis that do way better than people that do top top. Um, top-down analysis so yeah me and you are, are bottom-up guys so i'd say we're just yeah. bottom just bottom we just go no okay um put it this way if uh if you had a family store um if you had a family convenience store in your community mm -hmm. would you care about what someone over in china or the united states was doing well, exactly right. It doesn't matter what you know. What is the only time macro matters is if you're in a pandemic like we just had. It's the only mm -hmm. time. Then focus a little bit on it. But even then, you know, corner stores didn't do too bad. A lot of, a lot of corner stores stayed open, and uh, some even thrived. And I know of one in particular that thrived quite well, actually. So it uh, people just got to stop worrying about it. Like really. Yeah. So our next talk is on crypto. Um, I know you've dabbled in crypto a little bit there, Jake. Um, we're we're mean, all right now. We're in crypto. We're in uh, Pi. 
it's we are in pi so um so if anybody doesn't understand what pi is it's just a couple guys from stanford university i believe uh they're on stage two i believe of their cryptocurrency yeah. and then once it hits once, a certain amount of people it's like stage three i think they bring it to like main market then it'll go on the blockchain um yeah so i mean it's a free app if you guys want to download pi you guys can start mining pi um or crypto straight from your phone it doesn't take up storage or battery or anything like that it doesn't no. like it's pretty cool it's pretty cool pretty interesting um but just crypto in general like ethereum and bitcoin like the two big guys um in other words i like to think of it as digital gold um other people think that it's going to be the new digital currency i think it's too volatile to be an actual currency um in my opinion i don't think our the currency can withstand you know fluctuations of 20 to 30 percent in a month um, I think that's ludicrous for right now. It might balance out later on as life goes on. Um, I mean, I think as it what, gets bigger, it'll stable. They said, yeah, that's what I'm guessing. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, me and Jake aren't really buying crypto. I think you bought it for a little bit. Uh, I bought, little. I bought a really tiny amount just for fun. Mm-hmm. And then it went up and I was like, <laughs> I'm out of here. I don't, I, I just, I did it for fun. Cause why not? If you have a little bit of money sitting around, but uh, I, I'm not a fan of it. I really, it was just, it was pure speculation. And that's the only real speculation I have in my portfolio. Yeah. And I mean, there is like, okay. So I know a lot of Bitcoin guys that say like, Oh, like what happens if we all go to crypto? Like all your stocks are going to go to zero pretty well because you guys will be screwed. Right. Uh, crypto will be the new thing. Um, no. Um, all the businesses will turn into crypto based on the fact that, they go from the US dollar um, for accounting, then they're going to turn into crypto. And so, I mean, I'd rather own businesses. And so they start doing cash flows from US dollars. Um, and then once, you know, Bitcoin <laughs> becomes becomes the primary uh, currency, uh, then I'll be getting yeah. cash flows in Bitcoin. But no, I'm, you know, uh, uh, I'm uninterested in Bitcoin because I also don't buy the US dollar either. Like I don't speculate on the US dollar, or the the <laughs> yen, or the or the euro, or anything like that. So there's no point, in my opinion. Um, like obviously, I see a point in Bitcoin. Um, I see see that there could be, um, you know, strong tailwinds maybe with it to a certain degree. Um, but I'm not too interested in it. And it's and it's extremely far out from sense. our. The technology makes sense, but it's extremely far out from our circle of competence. Uh, or I know at least certainly mine. Um, you know, like I, I have a hard time, you know, figuring, figuring out how to like change my background on my computer, um, let alone what this new cryptocurrency is. Uh, it's just not something I'm interested in spending a lot of time on. Um, and I'm more interested in buying great businesses at uh, great prices. Well, the way I look at it is... But it's something that... I don't know. I think it's just like funny in my opinion. I don't really have much of a like say in, you know, what people invest their money in or buy their, you know, I, I think it's a better buy to just, in other words, if you got money, go spend it on Dairy Queen and Circle K. Uh, <laughs> your money's, your money's a lot better there than it is over in uh, Earth 2.0. Um, and if you're interested, you can probably crack open a couple of Coca-Colas for us too. Uh, I'm sure. Mr. Buffett and Mr. Munger would love that. Um, our last topic of discussion for the day is venture capital. Um, so if any of you guys know what venture capital is, you guys might've seen uh, Dragon's Den or Shark Tank. Um, 
Dragon's Den, the Canadian version of Shark Tank. And so uh, what it is, is it'll be a small startup or a small business. Uh, we'll go in, pitch their idea or their business uh, to a group of investors. They'll be looking for uh, some type of equity in their company. Um, and so they'll pitch their idea. Um, if the investors feel that it's a great business or a great idea, uh, then they'll proceed to give them money uh, in return for equity. Um, there's a lot of venture capital um, businesses around. Um, like I have a friend that just started on to a venture capital firm. And so it, it's an interesting thing. I think it's more of like, I think it's more speculative, obviously, than buying great businesses. Because when you're a venture capital start, like when you're investing in startups, small startups or early stage businesses and stuff like that, I think it's extremely hard to calculate the future cash flows of that business. Um, but I think, you know, there's home runs and everything. Um, so I think, I mean, if you bought a handful of these venture capital startups, it could be cool. Um, I wouldn't definitely not put a hundred percent of my portfolio into venture capital. Um, but it's definitely an interesting, um, discussion to have, uh, if you do get up to like a higher net worth and you want to allocate 5% of your net worth, maybe to venture capital, 10% of your net worth to venture capital. Um, you might, you might swing on a big home run. Um, I think there's more luck involved with it. Um, but maybe I'm just biased because I've never been in venture capital. Um, or I guess I've never invested in venture capital. Um, do you have much of a, much to say on venture well, capital, Jake? Yeah. I don't really have much to add about, uh, private equity. Um, the only thing I really know about it is, or the closest thing I've ever seen would be Shark Tank. Mm -hmm. And from what I think about on Shark Tank, it's typically lower, lower amount of money bets because it's typically anywhere from like, you know, 100,000 to like half a million or something like that. And we're talking about like Mark Cuban, who's a billionaire. So he's putting down small amounts of money with potential to, you know, hit huge returns. So yeah. It'd be no different than us buying a small cap stock or like a micro cap stock, and it just started having profits, or it doesn't have profits yet, but it's it's on its way. It's a good business concept. It'd be no different than you allocating like a percentage of your portfolio or something really small, you know. So no, exactly. I mean, it's something that we'd be interested in later on in life, possibly. Um, but right now, I mean, we don't have the capital um, to help a startup. Um, we might have some ideas for them, um, but for the most part, now we don't have enough. Uh, our net worth isn't high enough, really, for venture capital. Um, but I know you can invest <laughs> in venture capital funds. I believe uh, that's an actual uh, thing. That scares me. That scares that scares me more than doing it myself because you get. I think the more people you go through to make an investment, I think the smaller your returns get. Right. So I think it's, I mean, it's hard enough to pick a stock or a great business, um, but it's even harder to, to find a manager that create that creates or picks these great businesses. Um, so all in all. Would you say that uh, one of our stock picks would technically be like, not venture capital, but it'd be like a young start, like startup company, if you think about yeah, it? Yeah, it would, be, it would be like an emerging growth. Emerging growth with no profits per se, yeah. But no no actual no actual profits, but I mean from what we've seen, 
um, from some of their investments that they've made already. They're very good capital allocators. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're talking about Alex and Adam, right? Yeah, we're talking. We're talking about uh, the future Buffett. Yeah, well, it, it. Yeah, well, Alex Rozak and and Adam Pedersen. Um, just uh, we believe that they're great capital allocators. Um, or at Boston Omaha, and so me and Jacob are both pretty proud uh, shareholders of of Boston Omaha, and so that'd be like the closest thing to like a startup that we've invested in. Um, but we understand what they're doing, um, and it's believe. it's very interesting because I'm kind of glad they don't have profits. I mean, right now you're able to you know not paying taxes, and they're building a lot of value. And a lot, there's quite a bit of value hidden in there with the uh, stake in DreamFinders homes. That just okay, well, on public. I mean, we did buy it for like almost one time book value, Jake. Yeah, it was. So we bought yeah. the potential of a next like potential Berkshire. I'm not saying it's going to be Berkshire, but a potential mm-hmm. Berkshire at a cheap price, which is pretty amazing. There's probably a 95% chance that we we're going to make money on our our initial investment. And if it went lower, then we would have invested a lot more. Yeah. We've already, you know, tripled our our money in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think this is a great podcast. Um, If you guys would like to follow us, um, you guys can follow us on Instagram at moneyunderthemattress.podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us or DM us. Uh, You can email us through moneyunderthemattress.podcast.gmail.com. you have anything else to add, Jake? No. Uh, I hope you guys have a great day. Awesome. People are like, oh, like, what's going to happen? Like, why would you own stocks when you own Bitcoin? Well, the thing is, is like you said, you're going to, businesses are going to change over to, like, if Bitcoin becomes our global currency or whatever you want to call it, then A, that's going to be a problem because people owe debts and it's, it's a huge mm-hmm. shit show. Anyways, but what's going to happen is, think about this. If, if you think that because Bitcoin becomes our, you know, currency, mm-hmm. that Apple and these other big corporations that produce things that like we basically revolve our life around, which is a phone. If you think that these guys are second are going to go out of business because we changed to a different currency, you're joking. Because they're, what they're going to do is going to say, okay, if you want our product that we have right now, mm-hmm. you're going to give us this amount of Bitcoin and you're going to do it because you need an iPhone in your life. Like right now, what our iPhone is going for, like, like a thousand or like the 1200 bucks. So, yeah. I mean, I believe that's like the, that's like the, they that's could, like the, I think, I think it's higher than that anyways. They could, they could say, I want, I'm going to put up the 5,000 right now. And you'd be surprised that they wouldn't lose that many customers. I guarantee you they could raise the price. Well, no, think, think of Netflix, right? Like, like Netflix is competitive advantage. Netflix raises their subscription by a dollar. Who's dropping? Like you know, ask yourself if Netflix drop if Netflix increases their price by a dollar, you'll figure out a way to pay that dollar. I guarantee it. I, I guarantee ninety nine out of hundred people will still have Netflix the next month. And there's only one problem I have with uh, with Bitcoin: mm. the fact that the government, which unless you think the government's not going to run our country. In the, in, the, in the upcoming future, but the government will never let the power go into the, the population's hands. Like they, they always need to control the power. And that's just the way the government always has been and always will be. They need to control things. And if mm. they can't control things like our currencies, it's just not going to work. There's going to be repercussions. 
it, but do I think that there's always going to be a way for you to pay via Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies? Of course, and you already can, right? There's yeah. people right now that live off just Bitcoins and stuff and they like change it. And you know what? Bitcoin may be a better than holding on real cash. What you can do is, you know, your Bitcoin goes up as more cash is printed. So you're able to buy more, you know, dollars. So good for you. But until something a lot more substantial, like changes throughout like the world, I, I, I couldn't see myself, you know, saying I have this X amount of dollars from now on. I'm transferring it into cryptocurrency. I, I just can't do it. I, I personally, I, I couldn't, <laughs> I don't think you could either. No, I mean, it's so far out there for me to understand. Like, it's not something I, mean, I you know, I, I'd rather figure out the cash flows of Facebook um, and its intrinsic value than figure out if Bitcoin in 20 years down the line, if I'm going to be buying you know, my, my car and Bitcoins instead of what it is. I gave myself, Mitch, one day I said, Fred, I'm going to take a couple hours and I'm going to try to learn about Bitcoin. They started talking about these nodes and this weird stuff. And like, I tried searching it up like images of how like the blockchain actually works. Man, no, there's, it, you have to have a background and that type of stuff to even understand it. Okay. Well, I think with Bitcoin, I think you can day trade it just like a stocks. Um, well, yeah, because when you're, when you're, when you're, because there's all volume and volatility and, and there's trends that you're able to follow. Yeah. So I see why people day trade crypto, um, to a certain, I mean, if you're going to day trade, you're probably going to day trade crypto over stocks, I guess. I, I don't really understand the whole day trading in general, but to a certain degree, I do understand that. Yes. Like there's trends <laughs> in crypto just as much as there is with <laughs> stocks, because if you're a day trader, you're not really caring about the intrinsic value of the of the stock or anything like that you're you don't care if you know earnings are down this week or next week or whatever it is but i don't know me and you like we've always said we don't know a lot of things and so crypto is certainly not one of them um one thing that we do start we have started looking into is uh real estate um we like real estate rental properties uh we're not really interested in flipping properties um but we no. think that we think that buying a real estate property at a significant discount to its intrinsic value just like a stock um, special situation people need to get off their hands special situation the, the they have to get off. pinch type of thing or something like yep. that exactly right and so i think if we can get into some real estate deals like that um i mean we might flip if there's a crazy deal and it was like a single unit um but for the most part looking to get into rentals um I think real estate is great. Um, I think it's extremely hard to get into real estate at a young age, uh, just based on the fact that there's a lot of things to learn. Um, and I think that uh, compounding your money through a real estate market could be a slow start at the start. Uh, but I think once you get, you know, get a couple hundred thousand dollars under you, uh, I think you can do great in real estate. Um, I know like there's a guy that's at Stanford university and that's all he knows is Stanford university real estate. And so I believe you know what he did? A, mm. It's the guy that um, once uh, 2000 stock market crash hit, mm -hmm. he went and bought all the property around Stanford where all the people, is that the guy where all the like, shops and stuff got closed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is it closed? Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. That guy. And so it's just like his, that's his circle of competence and everything inside Stanford University, uh, real estate 
he understands and he understands the intrinsic value of every single property around it. And so if it goes below that, then he'll buy it, I guess. Uh, he's made, you know, a lot of money through that way. And I think there's a lot of different deals that the real estate market uh, can hand out. Uh, there's cash flows behind the real estate market. And so that's why I mean, you would be interested in it over, you know, something so, such as gold and silver or Bitcoin and stuff like that. Um, another thing that's kind think, of, what's that? I definitely think though that you would, you'd need to be pretty well off to get into it because you can make a higher return in the stock market at first. Mm -hmm. It's harder to make a high return if you have low capital in real estate. Yeah. Especially if a low, especially if you don't have like a lot of, of uh, credit score behind you and no. And like, like uh, you don't have much um, lending opportunities, especially mm, since okay, yeah. we're both young. We don't have full-time jobs yet and we're students and stuff. So it, it's harder to get into. And you know, in the States, they um, you can leverage properties a lot, you know, more yeah, than in Canada. But I think if like you've, if you've been investing for like a certain amount of years like in the stock market and you're starting to get a, a hefty uh, net worth on you, I think you can definitely diversify your money into uh, a few apartment buildings for sure. Yeah, and it's a physical asset. Like I understand, like I know a lot of guys that don't really understand the stock market, but they understand the real estate market because it's physical. Uh, they can mm. see it. Um, I don't really believe that whole thing because I mean, I don't know if you guys have McDonald's in your town, but I drive past it every day and I can see it. And uh, I know that I'm a part owner in it if I own the stock McDonald's. I know when I drive by Circle K and uh, Dairy Queen that they're always bumping. So yeah, exactly. And so you're something's going on there. Owner. <laughs> so that, something's going on exactly. And uh, and that's a physical property. I believe you can go up and touch the walls, but uh, <laughs> we may be mistaken and uh, prove us wrong if so. But um, one thing that you cannot touch is virtual real estate. Um, if you guys have heard, <laughs> if, you, if you guys have heard of this, it's it's kind of insane, honestly. It's called Earth 2.0. If you just search it up on Google, it's Earth 2.0, and pretty well. Like how I to be honest, I have no understanding of it. Um, you just buy land virtually. You don't actually own it in person. You just buy it virtually on Earth 2.0. And so, like, I want a quick, I look, uh, want a quick I, description. Yeah, I love one. Okay, Earth Two is a futuristic concept of a second Earth, a metaverse between virtual and physical reality, in which real world geolocations on a sectioned map correspond to user-generated digital virtual environments. These environments can be owned, bought, sold, and in the near future, deeply customized. Wow. Um, yeah, so if you're buying virtual real estate, um, our email is moneyunderthemattress.podcast.gmail.com. Um, we'll allocate your capital for you. Um, I would not go into virtual real estate. Um, I for sure don't see really that much of a purpose okay. in NFTs um, and virtual real estate is like so much further than that. Like how, how I know the other day I was looking at Fenway park virtually people are spending three to $4,000 virtually to own Fenway park on earth 2.0 question for you. Mm. So does it work where I wonder if it works where like originally the first buyers of each place paid the company who made this thing. And then after that, it was just buyers and sellers. I mean, what, is it kind of like that? I think uh, that's all it is. I think it's just all based on auction market. Like it's. And then do they then after they sell that property and it, and it resells again? Do you think they get like a little like uh, piece off that? Do you think they get a little? Uh, 
kind of like a real estate agent fee type of thing. I wonder. Almost. I wonder, eh? Because I, I mean, wonder too. I'd like Maybe to own business. I'd like to own Earth 2.0. That's what I'd like to own. That that mm-hmm. ha- that would have if you if they get commissions off the real estate, um, or not even like the digital real estate. Um, I can't honestly. I cannot believe that this is an actual thing. People are buying, spending their actual hard-earned money on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Under the Mattress. If you have any questions about this episode, you can email us at moneyunderthemattress.podcast at gmail.com. Everything discussed in this podcast is our opinion and should not be used as investment advice. This podcast is for your entertainment and education purposes only, and we hope that you enjoyed it.